G'day and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello, and uh, this is another one-on-one interview that I get the privilege of doing every now and then. And uh, today I'm talking with the one and only founder of Jim's Mowing, Jim Penman. Oh, it's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. Jim, thank you so much for agreeing to come on Pillow Talk. Good to be here. Now, um, what I'm wanting to start about, uh, start talking about, and uh, we can go on to some other topics uh, if time permits, um, but uh, I want to have a chat uh, about Dictator Dan. Uh, I'm a huge critic of the overreach of government, the dissolution of democracy, and the continuing... um, expansion of emergency laws Um, and I understand you're somewhat sympathetic. Um, Coincidentally I was watching Star Wars Episode 2 last night and uh, we saw the villain in Star Wars Episode 2 reluctantly agreeing to accept uh, an unconditional extension of uh, emergency laws in the Senate. Now that's Star Wars and we all know uh, how that ends, not very well. but you're also a student of history and um, and you're concerned, um, I guess, about the practical uh, application, the practical impact of these laws on the businesses and the business owners that, that you look after, your franchisees. Um, so there's a historical aspect uh, and precedence for uh, rulers seeking extended emergency powers. Um, but talk to me about the very real and now application and, and implication on these laws and how they're they're impacting um, the people who have franchisees in the gyms group. Mm. The, the crackdown is quite extraordinary by historical standards. I've been reading a book about the Spanish flu of 100 years ago, and that was like a 10% mortality, um, mostly young and fit adults, so horrifically serious, and yet nothing mm. like what we've seen. But this this terrible fear of a disease that only kills less than one percent and that is a very sick people for the most part you know Mm. somebody somebody goes to hospital to die and 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 of cancer you know he's going to be dead in two weeks he catches covid and they put it on this death certificate died from covid well and they say well he was dying of cancer and they said well don't you want twenty five thousand? so I think that's exaggerated. And I think what they do is underestimate to the, the suicides and other deaths that are caused by the lockdown. So they're, they're grossly exaggerating the effect of the disease and underrating the bad effects of, of what we're doing. Yeah, actually, I, uh, I saw a recent article in The Australian said that even the, the worst affected population of, of people, which is uh, senior citizens, uh, especially in nursing homes, uh, those people, we've actually got a thousand less deaths this year uh, mm. of people in nursing homes than the same period last year. Mm. So yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, three times as many people have committed suicide as have died for this thing, and, and since it started, it's 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 so over the top, outrageous. Mm. And and there's ways of protecting vulnerable people, but most people like you and I are not in danger. 
it's it's crazy what those are. Look, I don't mind things like wearing masks and stuff. I know people think that's fascist and stuff. I couldn't give a stuff because it doesn't hurt anybody in terms of their livelihood. But when you throw tens of thousands of people out of work, you get terrible results. I mean, I mean mm. the level of depression. I was talking to someone this morning. He says he goes to house after house and people are crying. And there's this, this poor old lady who hasn't had a hug for, for months. Nobody's mm. touched her. And, and, you know, how can you – just discard that and say that's a nothing, nothing, nothing. We're only this very small danger to health matters. There's no sense of, of proportion in what they're doing. There isn't any proportion at all. And and I think this is the part um, which is really polarising uh, the population. We, we've got people who perhaps may more often be right of centre in their political philosophy or, or voting inclinations, and, and they're saying, well, this is disproportionate overreach and, and there's so many aspects to this that we object to. It could be masks or it could be the actual impact on human life of, of the misery and suffering being caused by the lockdown where it was designed to prevent it mm-hmm. and, and credit that maybe their motives were good. But then you've got those other people who say if you criticise these measures in any way whatsoever, uh, you're, you're callous, hard-hearted granny killer. Um, and and the whole question is, well, no, that, that's not a fair reading. We're only trying to talk about the proportionality uh, of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the measure of proportionality is what's the, what's the cost? What's the flip side mm-hmm. of, of this measure? And so in some of the letters that you, you've written an open letter to, to Daniel Andrews, I actually haven't read the whole thing. Is it widely available? Um, I haven't even looked. Yes, I've written four of them so far, actually. They all seem to get a bit of a run on the media, so yes. Um, so should Daniel Andrews respond to you? Well, of course he should. I mean, what, what's extraordinary about this this man is that he talks about how widely he he collaborates and corresponds and listens to businesses. Well, I mean, I represent tens of thousands of small businesses throughout Victoria, basically mm. sole operators. Um, I'm the only person that speaks for them. And he hasn't even given me a two-line reply, despite the fact that it's been a subject of several news stories. I don't think he listens to anybody apart from, you know, obviously, union bosses and people like that who, who – who, he doesn't listen. And the, the point about I'd make about this whole thing is that it's so – if there was a really big danger – look, I, I, I miss going to restaurants and I really, really miss going to church. But I can understand that. That's reasonable. These are both high-risk activities, particularly church because group singing is like that. But a lone operator working alone on a site, not going in contact with the public or anybody else, that's about as low risk as you can get. In fact, if that person stays home and goes for a walk or a run or goes to buy fast food or goes to a bottle shop, they're actually more of a risk. So mm. shutting down small operators has zero benefit. It may even cause more infections. Of course. But the psychological and, and mental effects and all the dreadful things that go on, the alcoholism, the child abuse, the domestic violence, the depression, the suicide, all these things are massively pushed forward. So yeah. the balance. Hmm. But he doesn't, he doesn't balance. He doesn't balance. There's no sense of balance. And this is the problem. This is the objection that I have. Uh, and it's not because I'm conservative and can't stand the Daniel Andrews regime. That's coincidental. Um, what I hate is the autocratic arbitrariness mm. of of these measures uh, and which the chief health medical officer has health medical officer has admitted to under questioning um, from I think it was David Limbrick 
he said there's no difference in the health benefit or the risks of golf and exercise, sorry, golf and going for a walk, um, but one of them was banned and one of them was not, uh, theoretically. And, again, there's nothing medical or mm. scientific or demonstrated uh, about it. It was, and he used the word, somewhat arbitrary. Uh, it's, and it's, 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 it's the Premier's whim. You cannot understand what's happened based on, on anything to do with health. Take, take the example of gardeners, okay? A lone gardener working alone on a site, that's a plague victim now. You must shut them down. But you put two or three or four or five council gardeners doing the same jobs, they're no danger to health. You know, where's the sense of that? You know, and that's oh, the arbitrariness of Necessary for public safety, okay? Well, apparently it's incredibly important for public safety that the Premier's own lawn is immaculate, you know, not even a centimetre out of growth. But a poor old pensioner tripping over um, knee-high grass, that's not a danger to health. I mean, I mean, who makes these decisions? There's no, there's no sense to it. You know, the original guidelines from the Health and Human Services, very clearly, right at the top, it's, it's a very detailed document, obviously done with a lot of consultation with health experts, the best advice, obviously worked out over several weeks or months, I don't know how often they did it. And they, one of the things they said at the top is a sole operator working alone on a site is okay. A week later, the Premier gets on the news conference says mowing and cleaning. Now, why did he say that? The reason, obviously, is that he didn't know his own guidelines. And look, how could you? There's six pages of detailed type, but he didn't have a clue. So what does he do? He doesn't, a normal, decent human being would simply say, look, I made a mistake. The guidelines signal out. Yeah, go back to work. But he says, no, no, let's throw, let's throw tens of thousands of Victorians out of work. After all, the small business is not going to vote for me anyway. Who cares? But, of course, council workers, pay union dues, so we'll have them working. I mean, how how can anybody think there's anything but just simply corrupt, arbitrary decision-making? Uh, yeah, and and this is, I, I guess, the point um, I, would, I would further advocate is that we don't want it to be arbitrary. We want it to be accountable. There mm. should be debate about this. There should be transparency. For example, this supercomputer, uh, whose science cannot be refuted, and, and Daniel Andrews likes the line, you, you can't argue with science. Well, why is it not transparent? Why can't we see the methodology, the mm. assumptions that are used in these models so that epidemiologists and other qualified people, uh, thinking people who are well-read, uh, not necessarily needing a, a degree, why can't we, if the science is so bulletproof and unassailable and unimpeachable, why can't we see it? Why can't we let the science speak for itself? Uh, mm. Bring back some level of democracy. All we want to see is debate and transparency in, in the government that's asking us to trust them with the entire shutdown of society. And, and here's the, the point I want to keep coming back to. It's not about dollars or, or about greedy businessmen. It's about the fact that those things have a very real impact on human mm. suffering and and survival um and you've said you've had some tell me some of the anecdotes of the franchisee that you've tried to bring to uh, mr andrew's attention well one poor girl who's a dog wash franchisee now she's not a citizen she's on a bridging visa so she gets no public support she's destitute she's absolutely destitute she's been threatened with eviction she she can't she's sort of asking her neighbors for leftovers 
She's wow. She, people are giving her Uber Eats vouchers and stuff. Now that my franchisees have started a, a GoFundMe thing where they're helping to keep her afloat. We've all made some loans and stuff like that. This poor lady. She, what can you do? You're forbidden to work. You've got no income. You've got nothing to do. I've said I've said to people if they get thrown out of their house, they can come and stay at our conference center for free, and, and we'll work out somewhere to feed them. But what do you do when the government forbids you to do? And and for heaven's sake, she's washing dogs. Dogs can't catch this thing. Yeah. There's no possible way she could infect or be infected by anybody. So what's this suffering she's going through? And I, I know yeah. my my franchisees. I mean. My friend are not paying fees at all, but the franchisors are still ringing them regularly because they, they know the effects on mental health. There's so much despair out there. There's so much depression. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, something that, uh, again, is defying the science, and, and we know the, the uh, council gardeners are fine to, to do their job, but yours aren't. The half-life, last time I heard the science on, on the lifespan of, of uh, the COVID virus in sunshine, was 90 seconds uh, with a, a moderate hu humidity and a moderate temperature in broad daylight. I mean, the virus doesn't even survive outside. Uh, mm. It's, uh, you know, maybe inside in air conditioning, it can last a bit longer. But, uh, you know, again, it's just insanity that somebody should be prevented from calling Jim's mowing or, or any mowing guy to, mm. to come and work by themselves in the yard where there's no chance of even the virus surviving for 90 seconds let alone spreading it to somebody else. Surely you could put sensible precautions around it. But it's just, it's outrageous. And, and it almost feels redundant, doesn't it, to just talk on and on and on about how outrageous, ludicrous it is. One of the things that escapes my appreciation is how he still has a job, how there is apparently a high level of popular support for this extended lockdown emergency powers and his continuing leadership of, of this kind. Is that the case? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a very simple explanation for that. People tend to rally around the leader in time of crisis, and sometimes they're running around the long leader. Um, he, I mean, you couldn't have a worse leader than Andrews. Everybody knows, and this genetic evidence is quite clear, He's responsible for this. He actually, by muffing the quarantine, is where virtually all these infections are coming from. That's why it's in Victoria, not anywhere else except from Victoria. Um, his, the, the, the health system health, um, is, is a laughingstock. We don't test enough. Tests don't come back quick enough. Contact tracing is poor. The federal government's trying to get involved to say, come in, we'll do it for you. No, no, we don't need you. We're, we're, we're fantastic by ourselves. I mean, I mean, he's, he's, he's an incredibly incompetent person. I would really like to see, I don't know it's going to happen, but, you know, many years ago I had a, a factory for a while and I didn't run this factory and, um, but I had a manager there and, and one of the people, the workers got injured. Now he did something very stupid he wasn't supposed to do, but the fact of the matter is as the owner of the factory, I am responsible. So I had to go to court, and it's a deeply humiliating, embarrassing situation where basically you're responsible for somebody being injured. I really don't want to go through that again. But, okay, nothing happened, all right. I didn't even get put in jail or anything like that. But there is a thing called industrial manslaughter, and the Premier is responsible mm -hmm. for many, many, many deaths. And by the end of this, he'll probably have been responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of deaths, either directly through the infection or indirectly through the effects of it. In, in, in my view, he should be tried for industrial manslaughter. Which that's is not even 
It's not even slightly exaggerating those numbers. No. Uh, I think that's very, being very conservative. Um, look, uh, I think one of the things I like to talk about rather than, than just an indulgent exercise in, in rhetoric is what are the solutions? Uh, is there, <laughs> I want to say the word roadmap, um, but that's uh, been recently um, <laughs> had, had a lot of credibility taken out of its meaning. Is there a useful strategy that, that regular people could employ either outside Victoria or especially inside Victoria, uh, which would help them to end this, this tyranny, this lockdown, this regime? Yeah, there's one thing that everybody should do is they should pass the word to everybody they know. They should use social media, they should use email, they should use text. Um, things like going on the Jim's Group Facebook page, you'll find all sorts of stuff. Send that to everybody. Send it to your, your local member of parliament. I know quite well, I've talked to um, a senior Liberal Party politician the other day, and he said that he's getting like 2,000 people a week contacting about this thing, and about 30% of them are mentioning what we've done. So that does have an impact, and obviously not just us, it's the media, but people passing it. So make a noise about it, because what is actually going to happen, the Premier is a supreme political being. I guess what you've got to understand, if you're going to look at, at things like why do um, private operators get banned and, and council gardeners in groups not, you can't understand that in terms of health, mm. but you can understand in terms of politics. In other words, who votes Labour? whose union contributes fees. You understand that completely. That's why he operates. He's a political person. Now, what's going to happen is if he, if the lockdown becomes unpopular enough and people speak up enough about it, he's going to listen because, because he doesn't really care how many people die. What he cares about is what's going to strengthen or weaken his position. And if the majority 100%. of the population turn against it, then he'll change because he's got mm. no principles. He's purely political animal. 100% right. Tell me, um, uh, I mean, you've got a PhD in history, which is something that a lot of people may not know about you. Um, and it is, it's actually stuck. Uh, when we think of uh, Jim Penman, the founder of the Jim's Mowing Group, um, we think about the the picture, the brand, the little icon with the guy and the beard, uh, and we which, think which is which is me. That is actually me, <laughs> right? Um, except the beard isn't quite there anymore, so you're gonna have to update your logo. Mm -hmm. oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna persuade you on that. Um, but that's okay. I'm only I'm only teasing. Um, but uh, what people think about is the mowing man. They don't think about a guy with a PhD in history. Uh, which is a really rich and, and uh, interesting thing. So we'll talk about that more in, in just a second. But related to this conversation, uh, historically, what does this look like? Uh, is, this, is this something that we've seen before uh, mm, at this stage yes. without being able to predict what happens next? Um, are these the kind of warning signs we've seen before about an autocratic dictator uh, and there'll be a follow-up after you answer that. Yes, yes, exactly right. Um, look, I'm not saying we're at the same stage yet, but <clears throat> when a civilization is strong, what people have is relatively impersonal loyalties. And you can understand that in terms of epigenetics. It's to do with the way the genes are turned on and off by environmental influences. A successful society is one based on impersonal loyalties, like the rule of law constitutions, democracy, all those things are very, take very 
impersonal loyalties. Now, what happens is that you get this process that's going through where a society like originally is very, very tribal and personal, loyal to aristocrats and so forth, like, say, um, Europe in the, in the Middle Ages. And then you have very powerful nobles, very personal loyalties. Then you move towards impersonality and you get the rise not only of industrial commercial wealth, but you also get the, the, the rise of um, republic institution, the rule of law. But then, and this is part of the effect of wealth and urbanization, you get a move back towards the personal. And that's when you get the problem of the republic dying, as happened in Rome in the first century BC. Because it's you're interesting the process, you look at it. In the beginning, people would not, a, a successful military commander would have no chance of overthrowing the Republic because the soldiers wouldn't follow him. But then when Sulla marched on Rome, for example, in the, in the early first century BC, his soldiers followed him. Now, most of his legates didn't. Some couple did, but most of them didn't. But then when Caesar marched on Rome a few decades later, all of his soldiers, all of his legates followed him. And that time, because the, 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 this character of society had gone from impersonal towards the personal, that's why the Republic fell. And that's why eventually the Roman Empire fell. Now, we're in the very early stages of the same process. We're a society built on the rule of law, on constitutions, and we're moving towards a more personal thing. And people basically saying about Daniel Andrews, yeah, I'm a Labour supporter, I'm on his side, I'm his follower. I don't care the fact that he treats sole operators and council workers because I'm not interested in principles of justice or law. All I'm interested in, I'm on his side. So that's what you mean by personal uh, personality? Yes. But they, okay. they personally support. The, you can see the same thing going all over. Side has become much more polarised too. That's super, super interesting. One of the things mm. that uh, I major on in my messages consistently throughout my, my own show and, and my writing is is uh, that we should always sincerely not just with lip service but we should always sincerely be undecided voters and reset our political compass mm. every single election and then decide what are the most important issues and as a christian i believe we get that kind of insight from god and god's word but even as a atheist you could get that just out of a, a look around you what are the issues that are affecting your nation your neighborhood your neighbors the most uh not self-interest but actually outward neighbor interest what what are the biggest issues that we should be deciding our candidates on and then making them work for us and contacting every single one of them and saying, will you represent this issue? And if you will, you have a chance of earning my vote. And if there's only one, then that makes it really easy uh, to decide who to vote for. And there are some major justice issues uh, that should be a higher priority than the environment or education or immigration and some of those other, other issues. And, and without getting into those right now, the point is to depersonalize, to no longer promise mm. loyalty to a political party or politician, um, but to remember that they owe us loyalty, not the other way uh, around. Mm. No, that is that is that is absolutely correct too. I, look, I'm not actually completely conservative. I actually have fairly left wing views in some ways. For example, I would support a carbon tax. I also think that wealth should be more evenly distributed and, and things like wealth taxes and property taxes and so forth. So in some ways, I'm a, I'm a lefty. Um, obviously, when it comes to, to personal morality, my Christian views would come into the fore. But I don't even reliably vote one side or the other. I will make up my mind. I know when they, they invaded Iraq Great. during the um, 
And I was so against it. I thought that was a dreadful idea. I knew from my own studies from biohistory it would be a disaster. And I was really furious. I had a big argument with my oldest son, who's very patriotic. We hardly ever spoke after that. And but because I, I voted I Labour. Because, got better. Because, I, I hope you're talking again. Well, yeah, there's always tensions around. I, mean, I get on with most of them. I've got 10 kids, actually, so I get on with most of them. But the, wow, po the point cool. I'm making is that, is that and, and people have a go at me, too, when I talk about green greenhouse gases and global warming. They say, well, you're, you're, you're supposed to be a conservative. You can't say that. I say, well, yes, I can. I'll, I'll, I'll vote the issues. I'm not going to vote the person. Yeah, fantastic. And look, I applaud that. I disagree with you on those issues um, to, to some degree. Uh, but I love that you refuse to be put in a pigeonhole. I hate being put in a pigeonhole. I, I don't, I don't resist the labels because they're somewhat useful. Um, but uh, I identify as a Christian first. That's my choice. Whatever labels may fit after that will be coincidental um, and Talk will change depending depending on the issues. Talking about global warming, can I recommend a book to you? It's called False Alarm. I've just finished reading it. It's a it's a it's a wonderful book. Have you have you come across that one? No. It, it's about it's about the 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 science of, of greenhouse gases and so forth and and he he makes no no bones about it. There is global warming going on. Is caused by carbon dioxide. Is going to cause damage. But what he also does is he quantifies the level of the damage, and then looks at the cost of the things they're going to do to stop it, and actually figures out that many of the things people are talking about will cause many 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 times more deaths than the global warming they're supposed to be stopping. And then he comes from all this analysis and he says, and these are the effective ways to solve this with the minimum problem and things like carbon taxes, which are much better than subsidizing solar panels. And also things like mitigation strategies and helping people to overcome them. And, and also spending money on research, which is by far the most cost effective way to solve these issues. It's, it's, a, mm. it's a wonderful book. It, it doesn't, doesn't fit into either camp. No, that sounds very conservative to me. That sounds very conservative to me. Um, and that's fantastic. Like, I do not deny the climate is changing. I believe that the sea levels were significantly lower uh, to the level of hundreds of metres lower, and that's how Aborigines got to Tasmania. Uh, mm. Clearly, the climate has always been changing. I just disagree that it's significantly because of the Industrial Revolution and undoing that is going to have any significant benefit. So uh, I'm. Uh, it sounds like I'd be a fan of that book because if you can, if you can tell me a solution, if you can a prove that it's man-made and b give me a solution that isn't worse than the problem, yes. I'm a hundred percent on board. Uh, I, I'm not. So, I'm not an ideologue. I'm. I'm really open to the evidence. And uh, again, one of the things I like advocating is let's pursue truth together. I'm not interested in sticking to my guns if I'm wrong. Ignorance is a liability. Relieving me of that liability will be a kindness. Mm. Well, actually, one of the interesting things about this is if you really care about global warming and you believe it's a problem, one thing you'd never do is vote Greens. Because one, one of the problems is so many green policies are actually incredibly anti-environmental. For example, okay. any scientist will tell you that the way to reduce global to boost greenhouse gases is to have people allowed to live closer together because cities are a lot more effective that way. What do the Greens do? They want vast green belts around, like the green wedge around cities. What that means, well, first of all, it, it forces up the price of housing that normal people can't afford to buy houses, which is more and more the case, which is mm -hmm. great for the people who've got, you know, the wealthy people who've got, you know, expensive houses. 
But the other thing is, what happens is if you go to the outskirts of any major city, you'll see scores of hundreds of thousands of people driving huge distances to get to mm. work and huge distances because they can't afford to live close in. So you're yep. pumping billions of tons more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Look at like a city like, say, um, San Francisco, which is a typical green run city. It's got mm. the, one of the worst carbon footprints of any city in the United <laughs> States because people have to travel like two hours drive to get to work and two hours home because they can't afford to live in the city because it's yeah. green. That, how crazy is that? You're you're 100% right. Uh, I think Greens are environmental vandals and their policies are uh, communist to the core. But just to come back to history, uh, my follow-up question was, uh, you know, to first question, where have we seen this in history before? What can we learn from it? Uh, Follow-up is uh, how do we apply that learning now? How do do we arrest the direction that it seems we might be headed in um, the collapse of the Roman Empire? Okay, well, you're not going to like this very much when I say it, probably, <laughs> because it's completely against what every other conservative says. But you then I like cannot, it more. <laughs> you cannot stop this process by talking, by teaching, by propagandizing, by writing books, by running blogs. None of it has much of an effect. This has an enormous momentum. It's a massive, massive, massive ongoing phenomenon of change. And it's to do with a change of character that's driven by wealth and urbanization. You cannot halt it by those methods. But the actually interesting about it, these are changes that are epigenetic. And we've actually got a fairly good idea of what they are in physiological terms. It's to do with things like the balance of, of um, testosterone in, in the blood. Um, it's got to do with the way the genes are turned on and off. And we've actually identified a whole stack of genes that are affected in this way. Now, what that actually implies is, and, and I, I, this is wildly radical, but actually solving the problem would be incredibly simple and cheap. You're talking about something like a vaccination program just a very basic things using things like micro RNA. And I don't expect people to apply it, by the way, directly for this reason. What we are developing is things we call, in biohistory, we term called C promoters and V promoters. And these are like, for example, um, chastity is a C promoter. It's something that, that develops this kind of impersonal, restrained, disciplined character. Now, it's very difficult in a society becoming less and less, you know, more and more libertarian to actually change that. But you libertine. can actually have libertine, I think you mean. Libertine, not libertarian, libertine. Yeah. <laughs> but you can actually but you can actually change it directly by using things like pheromones and RNA. For example, um, it's well known that food restriction has these effects. If you mildly restrict food in rats, they become quite different. They become much better mothers, for example. They're more exploratory, more hardworking in rat terms. They're they're more wow. like what civilized people are. That's food restriction. It's a it's a well known psychological effect. You can read up literature. Now Interesting thing is this, and this comes from my research. Well, this makes sense. Uh, what, what you just said makes a whole lot of sense because as a fat, prosperous, wealthy society, uh, mm. the the opposite is obviously happening, that there's a an obesity level. Nobody's got scarcity of food. It's very mm. hard to die of starvation in Australia. Uh, and 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 conversely, we're becoming quite lazy socially and uh, morally. Okay, yeah. 
So now I'll give you an implication, and this is from my theory. This stuff is actually directly led, driven by things like um, food and, and sex and so forth, but it's also driven by smell. And one of the reasons you know that it's because societies tend to move together in these kinds of cycles. So what my prediction was, and I said this to the scientists who are running it, I said, if you take the bedding from rats that have been food restricted and you give it to rats that haven't been food restricted, they'll start to act like they're food restricted. And we did it. And it works. And what wow. you get is a situation. I'll give you one little experiment we did. We actually got um, one of the things about what we call high C or food restricted or civilized is they're much more attentive to their young. They spend more time with them. They're better mothers, okay? So what we did is we got this bedding and we had two groups of rats. One of them, say, the two, one of them was given um, the, the, the bedding from normally fed rats and the other was given, the other mother was given the bedding from the restricted food rats. No, no other difference. And they both had litters. And there was a little gateway between the two and we lifted the gateway to let them do. You know what happened? The mother who was had the bedding of food restriction, she was not only a better mother, she spent more time with her young and retrieved them back into the nest. That's sort of thing rats will do. But she actually went and she adopted the other pups. She took them over. Wow. And the other mother just let her do it because she's super maternal. So you look wow. at things like the declining birth rate. We're not talking about economics. We're talking about psychology. And we can change this. That's it's not even it's not even not even difficult, not even expensive. You're talking about something that the, the Gates Foundation could afford worldwide. It's 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 simple. It sounds uh, frightening. <laughs> I, I really wouldn't trust a government with the responsibility of implementing uh, social programming through immunization or uh, aerosol dispersion or uh, things like that. And obviously, there's you know a whole bunch of theories going around now, I, about that i wouldn't trust it either but that's not how it would work what's going to happen is that you this stuff once we've developed it and we've got some we do actually we're using about five different methods to do this thing we're using pheromones we're using microbes we're using cytokines we're using hormones we're using micro rna so we're looking at a whole different ways of doing it now clear implication is and and this is wild stuff nobody can predict it but that's what my theory says is that this would be very very effective way of treating things like um certain forms of mental illness and particularly addiction problems. So mm -hmm. in other words, what, what you do is you get somebody who's drug addicted and you say, okay, here's his experimental treatment. You have two groups, you have it, you don't. Let's see what happens. Now, my theory very strongly predicts that it's going to have a massive beneficial effect. It's going to help people get off drugs. And the other thing that it will do too is it's going to be the best study aid in the world. So if for students will take anything. They'll take they'll take um, what do you call it the um, AHDH um, the uh, oh, uh, Ritalin. Ritalin, yeah. And uh, students will take Ritalin because it gives them an edge in study. What if you could actually provide them with a study aid that would make them more hardworking without any bad effects? I mean, in a competitive society, how powerful is that? Totally That's fascinating. Uh, it, it sounds it sounds dis almost verging on dystopian um, population control, uh, and the benevolent nature of it um, probably doesn't diminish the fact that it sounds, um, you know. Well, I yeah. I don't think I don't see the matter for governments at all. I see it the matter for individuals because the point of it is too. One now of the that, things this will that do disarms it from its its. It's social toxicity for me. If you make yeah. it a matter for so, for personal people to 
take it or leave it without coercion or incentive um, other than the inherent benefits. No, I would I would be very alarmed if governments did it because one of the things this thing could do too we is agree, it could cause if you increase I talked about C, which is the discipline thing. There's also V, which is to do with confidence and energy and extreme level war. But you can understand things like the First World War, for example, major wars as a result of this thing. And and mm. there's a there's a pattern to them. They all follow about one um, about twenty years. Major wars break out about 20 years after a peak of population growth. You can see it again and again in France, in England, in Germany, in Italy, and in Japan. They're all following the same pattern. This is all written in my book, and you can see the actual statistics of how that works. So you, mm. you don't want societies to do that. In fact, it could be very dangerous. But What's the name for individuals, of that book? Uh, history. Um, there's two books, Biohistory, and by, which is the academic version, and Biohistory, Decline of the West, which is the um, um, popular version. The, the David version. <laughs> it's, well, it's a small one. I'll, I can get you a copy. And I'll show you if you like. But it's it's yeah, yeah, um, too. No, oh, okay. I'll just I'll just go and grab one. Do that. Uh, for those who are joining us right now in the middle, uh, we got a little gap in silence. I'm interviewing Jim Penman, founder of the Jim's Mowing Group. That's it. Uh, we're having a look at biohistory, the book he's written, uh, "Decline and Fall of the West." Yes. Possibly, if I'd written it, written it now, I wouldn't have written it in that terms. I would have written more in terms of mental illness and, and addiction and, and so forth. Well, I tell you what, that's a huge problem in, in the West. And, and ever since we've shut down uh, mental asylums and treated them by putting them out on the street, uh, it hasn't actually helped society much at no. all. So if there was a, um, a, a way to deal with mental health without stigmatising it, uh, and and a way that was kind and compassionate and therapeutically effective, mm. um, then then that would be uh, that would be wonderful. And you're saying this this is just mind blowing. Uh, and I'm sure I've only got the very tip of the tip of the iceberg. Um, that that book really sounds interesting. So for those people who want to read a bit more on that, where can they get the copy of the book? Um, you can get it from Amazon, if you like, or www.biohistory.org. You can actually um, see some little videos, too, which explains the whole concept quite simply. My, my son did that, did those. Biohistory.org. I'll see if I can share the website on the screen. Um, brilliant. Now, I read somewhere that uh, Jim's Mowing Group is turning over around half a billion dollars a year. Yes. <laughs> I have to say something less than 1% of that comes to me. I'm a lot less rich than you'd think from that particular thing. The uh, BRW tried to recruit me for the rich 500 and stuff. And I said, you've got to be joking. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm nowhere near in those things. I'm, look, I can afford to spend a couple of million dollars a year on a research project, but that, that's about it, really. Yep. Well, yeah, that doesn't make the BRW top 500. Um, I mean, it's, it's more... It's change. It's spare change. I'd be able to spend well, um, but um, yeah, it's it's not that top five hundred. I uh, I hope you believe in tithing for the sake of your local church. Feel free to oh, yeah. answer that question. Oh yeah, of course I do. That's a that's a basic that's a basic um, divine rule. And 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 I I don't even see it as a sacrifice actually. I just think that that it, it's part of the way you should live. But mind you, I don't tithe over my of my gross income. I tithe out of my a personal income. So we live yeah, on a couple, hundred, couple yeah. hundred thousand dollars a year. We, we tied that 10%. Yeah, I, that makes sense uh, entirely. Um, I'm just going to share this window here. Um, there we go. We can see that now. 
a bold new theory that challenges conventional ideas about society and civilization. Uh, so that's biohistory.org. So head to there and uh, get a little bit more information um, about these theories that, that we've been talking about. Yeah, personally, I um, uh, am also not super high income, um, although I don't have personal research projects that I'm funding. Um, and but that's the reason why I have a business, by the way. It's, it's nothing to do with I had never had any intention of becoming rich. But what actually happened is that I went to university to, to understand society. And I went, I studied, first of all, I tried sociology, and that was that's the most bills you could possibly imagine. Then I started on history. And then when I started to try and understand history, I started getting involved in biology and zoology and, and biochemistry and those kind of things too. And by the time I came to the end of my PhD, I had something which was so wildly radical that, that nobody would ever give me a job. So what I did is I turned my part-time student job mowing lawns into a full-time business. And the aim I had at that time is I said, I have to become rich enough to be able to fund this research by myself. Which, if you think of somebody as an impoverished, unemployable lawn mowing contract, it would seem fairly unlikely. But but somehow it happened. And I think God's God's ruling is in that somewhere. And I've always felt that's His role for me in life. I mean, look, I love what I do. That's fascinating. I, really, I love hearing this story, Jim. I I I love my I love my franchisees, and I want to serve them and help them. But ultimately, the whole function and purpose of Jim's group is to fund this research. That's what it's for. That's 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 the job that that God's given me. That's absolutely brilliant. That, yeah, uh, I love it, and uh, it's it's good um, hearing more about the the man behind the brand because uh, I admit I haven't picked up much of this information, uh, gleaning it through whatever media I stumble across in my uh, normal consumption habits. Um, I, I love hearing you talk about your passion for tithing. I've heard about non-Christians talk about the principle of tithing uh, mm. in in different business development and wealth creation study I've done. Um, there's a couple that I could name, but they just believe in the universal principle that you can either cooperate with it or, or you know, deny it. But simply giving 10% away with no strings attached and no, no rational expectation of something coming back somehow uh, has a positive impact on the rest of the money that you have. Yeah, it does too. I've been in situations where I've been desperate for, you know, I couldn't pay my phone bill or my electricity bill, but you pay your tithing and other things seem to come out. That's my experience. Look, I haven't always been a completely consistent regular tithe payer, but certainly for many years now, I consider it a fundamental principle of life. Yes. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think you can put God in your debt. I don't, I don't see it in direct mercenary terms. It may not be sure. wealth that comes back. It might be something else. It might be other kinds of blessings. But I don't, do not believe that. Because to me, to me, the Bible is, 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 the, is the maker's manual. If you had something wrong with your washing machine, you wouldn't go out and get the Toyota manual from your car if you drive a Toyota and try to fix the, man, the, the washing machine, would you? You'd, no. you'd actually look for the person who made the washing machine. You get their manual. And then you'd know how to fix your washing machine. Well, God is our maker, our creator. He He made us. He knows how he works. Bible is his manual. So if we follow that, that's the best principle of life. Even if you don't actually believe in it, then, yep. then yeah. it, it <laughs> still right. works. Because yeah. if you don't believe in God, the Bible is still the best guide for life. Look, there's an interesting right. stuff yeah. too. People talk yeah. about chastity is one of the basic principles of the Bible. Now, 
this is interesting stuff. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Alfred Kinsey, the, the sexual behavior of the human male, the female, big, big study that, that, that apparently proved that you know, more sex is great. But actually, in fact, if you, if you take out the editorializing and you look at his statistics, you get a very different story. And there's one very interesting thing that I put into biohistory that you can read out for yourself. And it's this, one of the best predictor of success in life, a hugely powerful predictor, is the level of nocturnal emissions that boys have in adolescence. The more nocturnal emissions, the more likely they are to get further education and the more likely they are to make a better income. This is many, many, many times more important than how smart you are, which people think is the be all. Intelligence has a very limited. This is cowboy radical success. kind of stuff, Jim. <laughs> it, it, it explains about 4%, 4% of your success in life. But how often you you masturbate or have sex in adolescence has a much, much bigger effect. So if we follow biblical principles <laughs> and we do what God wants, we will be successful because it's the maker's manual. I 100% agree. And I'm very happy to hear that more sex is good for, for success and, and health. No, no, <laughs> less sex is good for success. You have to have as little as possible when you're, you're in adolescence. Saying, Sorry, uh, the other way around. You know, uh, this is terrible good. news. As an adolescent, no, as a teenager, the less sex, the more successful. That's why nocturnal okay. emissions. So what about when I get married? Am I free to be successful with lots of sex then? Well, as long as you do it with your wife. <laughs> uh, agreed, there's a, agreed again. There's a story about, there's a story about uh, Calvin Coolidge. I can live with that I'm, restriction. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've heard this one in, in that uh, he, he and his wife were, were – touring a, a, a chicken farm, a hen, hen farm, Who and um, he and his wife, Calvin Coolidge, American president. Okay. okay, you probably heard this story, but anyway. I haven't, I haven't. He, he was touring a chicken farm, and the um, the, the wife was, was asked, the, the person there, she said, how often does this rooster have sex every day? And she said, they said 12 times a day. And she said, please tell Mr. Coolidge that, please tell the president. And the president came around later and asked us, and, and they said to the same thing. And, uh, and uh, they said, your, your, your wife asked us to tell you this 12 times a day. And he said, <laughs> Sorry, sir, but he said to tell you. <laughs> he said to tell you this. And then he said, yes, but was it with one hen or with 12 different hens? <laughs> and, she, and they said, well, 12 different hens. And he said, please tell that to Mrs. Coolidge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. So oh. being monogamous, one of the things it does tend to do is somewhat reduce your level of sexual activity as compared if you are completely promiscuous, all right? So it sure, does have that effect. So in other words, God's principle is this. Don't do it when you're young. And when you get married, just do it with one person. And if you follow that basic principle in life, then you're going to be more successful. You know, the Billings Institute in uh, the United States is a leftist think tank and uh, and they obviously being somewhat, um, oh, I was going to be perhaps a little bit rude then. Uh, I, I won't say that. I will reconsider that. Moving on. Uh, they're a leftist institute. So they're certainly not conservative uh, in in their love of tradition. And um 
and they have established this research and the research has concluded that there are three main things you need to do to uh, be successful in life, an average level of success, not highly successful, but to avoid poverty. Actually, that's the, that was the metric. To avoid poverty in life, you need to do three things. One, finish school. Two, get a job. And three, not have any kids before you're married. Uh, that was the Billings Institute. Uh, and turns out that was pretty close to uh, the maker's instructions, mm, as you yeah. um, as you said. But yeah, that's... I was, um, I was, I was reading a wonderful um, article um, about Father's Day. And one of the things it pointed out, statistically speaking, that having a father when you're growing up is actually one of the most important things. It's, it's, it's overwhelmingly associated with success at so many different levels. That's the mm. biblical principle. The very idea that a woman can raise her children by herself and doesn't need a mm. man is it's popular, but it's, myth, it's complete mythology. Men are mm. very, very, very important to children growing up well. Yes. And uh, the, I don't know if you've ever done this, but do a word search. Uh, you can do this online easily or your average Bible app, but do a word search for the amount of times the word fatherlessness or fatherless uh, and, and related concepts are mentioned in the Bible. God is really, really interested. It's mm. a major concern of God's that uh, fatherlessness should be solved. And, and inversely to what you just said, fatherlessness is a predictor of many, many social problems. Teen pregnancy, substance abuse, uh, leaving school early, uh, incarceration, criminal offence, um, yeah, career um, limitations, if not failures, and yeah, just a huge amount. Uh, and and uh, yeah, the cultures that have disproportionately high levels of fatherlessness, uh, single mother families, single parent families, they have correlation correlatedly is that a word uh, there's a correlative uh prevalence um of mis disproportionate representation in crime statistics and mm. and other things uh other related um again incarceration and i i remember actually um an episode from uh, focus on the family and uh jim what's his name who james dobson um, yeah, he's wonderful, who, wonderful. I love, love James Dobson. I, 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 I heard this advice as a very young father and built this into my parenting philosophy. And he said, uh, while there are some cultures that are disproportionately um, overrepresented in, uh, in jail populations in America, there are other cultures which are disproportionately underrepresented in jail populations in America. And he said one of those is the Jewish community. And he, he had a correlation, and, and he, I guess, called it, called it a causation, was, was that the um, ability of Jewish men to, A, stick with their families and, and be faithful long-term, and to, B, show an open amount of affection, especially with their sons, um, right through childhood and all the way into adulthood, um, mm. instilled such a personal security and emotional intelligence in in Jewish men, um, culturally, normally, um, that it it had a result of disproportionate underrepresentation in prison populations uh, in America. And he said one of the manifestations of that was just it's nothing unusual culturally to see a Jewish man grab his son by both sides of his face and, and kiss him on the lips right into adulthood. Nothing squeamish or or insecure about that. And I thought, you know, I'm 
I'm determined to show my my sons that kind of, uh, and you know, obviously my daughters as well, um, that kind of affection because of the importance of fatherlessness. I want them to know that their father approves of them, is proud of them, and um, and and believes in in them. Um, so not just not just as likely to go to prison too, also more likely to win a Nobel Prize and to be successful in all kinds of ways in oh, life. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It, it's 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 amazing that well. Jim, this has been a thoroughly interesting and, and surprisingly enjoyable um, conversation. Uh, not surprising that I enjoyed it, but surprising for reasons that I didn't expect uh, the conversation to to go down. Uh, thank you for the generosity of your time, and mm. uh, our, our best wishes are, are with you um, to get your franchisees out of uh, out of trouble. How many of them would you help move into state if they asked? Well, Flee victorious, Dan. If, if anybody wants to, we have a system whereby if you – because we've got so much unserviced leads, if a person wants to go into state, we usually just grant them a free franchise wherever they go to, even a different division. So, yeah, yep. if, they, if they want to move – if they want to empty out of Victoria and go elsewhere, then we'll help them. There's, yep. there's enough work everywhere. I, I personally – I'd rather be anywhere else in the country, except all my family's here, so obviously I'm not going to move. But Victoria is a terrible, terrible state. It's got the worst government in the country. It really does. Um, I don't know how dictator Dan got elected, re-elected at the last election, other than uh, I think the um, previous opposition leader was MIA um, mm. uh, and squibbed really good opportunities to distinguish himself. Um, so... I don't think I don't think they'll survive the next election. I, I, don't, I don't care what people think now. It's going to become so obvious in a couple of years' time how badly we've done by comparison and how much this man has been responsible. Obviously, they're going to kick him out of power. Labor colleagues won't you put think? up with him forever. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't believe they're that dense not to recognise what a disaster this guy has been. He, he's, got, he's got total control of the party now because he controls all the union funds. He's cowed everybody. Nobody can stand up to him. There's I, nobody in the state, not one person who can resist this guy, not the crossbenchers, not his own party, nothing. Well, that's why that's I think he's probably likely to stay. Um, I think they'd be cutting their own political throats to get rid of him. I think well, he's their only hope of winning the next election. Really? I, 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 think I, he's, I, I think he is such a shrewd political operator and the voters of Victoria should have been smarter last time. Um, and, and so I, I, I guess I don't have any evidence for that lends optimism um, for their enlightenment. And the fact that the opinion polls show that they're still approving of his incompetent leadership, I'm like, what does it take? I can't, I can't comprehend it actually. See, I get a lot of emails, and um, they're about nine, twenty to one in favour. But the ones that aren't, I tend to write back to them and, and try and explain and, and sort of discuss with them, which sometimes actually quite gets quite a decent conversation going. Sometimes they're Great. just plain, plain abusive, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I just—it's hard to understand the mentality. I—I—I I, I simply, I was talking to this lady on email, and she said, and she said, "Oh, what well, is essential services?" I said, "Well, how is the premier's garden an essential service, and a pensioner's, you know, foot high gut? Why is that? And how do yes. you account for council workers?" She couldn't really explain it. She just said, "Oh, well, one's essential, but but, but on what basis?" And basically, yeah. it comes down to where the premier is—I—I'm on his tribe, and I don't care what he does or what he says. I'm the in favour of. She actually said he's collaborative. And I said, you've got to be joking. He doesn't yeah. even talk to business. He won't listen to me or anybody else. He doesn't pay any attention. Oh, he's collaborative. Why? Because I'm on his side. It doesn't matter what he does. It's yeah. just 
tribal loyalty, which is this whole personal thing, which is part of the decay of civilization we've got to reverse. So reiterate for us one last time as we wrap up, uh, what should people do to put pressure on the Andrews government to uh, end this recalcitrance? Just pass the word. Grab hold of anything that's against and tell everybody you know. Put it on social media. One of the problems we've got is that lefties tend to be much better at speaking and at writing. So they're very much more vocal. So, so those of us who are not quite in that frame of mind have simply got to be really, really active on every social media account, on writing, emailing your friends, following Facebook, all the kind of things you can do, everything you can possibly do. Just pass the word and, and put pressure. Look, it's moving our way. I mean, even though he has rusted on supporters, people are getting more and more fed up with this and more and more angry. You can actually see the opinion polls starting to change. They really are. I mean, he's, he's got there's, there's more disquiet now by far than there was a week ago. And next week, it'll be even worse. People in the end are going to turn. We just got to do everything we can to make it turn. I hope so. Um, I, I actually hope that a whole lot more people um, disobey uh, the the chief health medical officer's uh, directives. Uh, I don't think they're lawful. Um, I don't think they're valid. Uh, I, and I, I was cheering for a while when you, it, reporting was going around that you might pay the fines of, of people mowing the lawns. Um, uh, I, like, I, was, I, I was somewhat misrepresented. What actually happened is when, when the original guidelines came out, the law of the land was in the guidelines, which said sole operators can work. Now, the Premier then goes on TV and says, no, no, no mowing, no gardening. So what I actually said was this. According to my legal advice, the law of the land is the regulations from the Department of Health and Human Services, not the Premier's cast off word at a press conference. I said, mm. it's, it's wrong. In law, it's wrong. If you go out, you won't be fined. And if you, if you are fined, I'll pay you a fine because I wouldn't be fined because this, you're not against the law. Now, what happened after that? was they changed the law, of course, to fit in with what the Premier said. And I said to my guys, OK, step down. So I never I never actually told anybody to disobey the law. I, I, I just said yeah. at that time, that was the law. And I don't look, I think you're essentially awful. betting the equivalent of a fee uh, that the law was being misinterpreted and that if you were wrong, yeah. you were happy to to wear the consequences. I, I, I had advice from two different lawyers that this was not what the premier said doesn't overcome the law the law is the department regulation I, I don't even think it's fair to call them laws they're directives they're they're certainly not valid laws um just well i would say so i would say that... so too but i i wouldn't encourage my people to fight them i know some people have gone out even have gone out and they're actually doing this stuff under the cover i know that because a lot of our clients are actually going to independent operators look i don't blame them either i don't blame somebody for beating the directives yep, yep. I was but cheering not, on those grannies, those uh, elderly ladies who got um, uh, live streamed or or videoed um, evidence of the heavy handedness of five cops and season. I just, I, mm. I actually think that's a really good thing. If somebody's going to disobey the directives, then make sure it's live streamed because uh, this is again spreading the word. The evidence of just the the brutal regime that's worse than Wuhan. Um, well, like that, like that dreadful story about that. That was uh, that woman, pregnant woman in her pajamas, yeah, yeah, being yeah. handcuffed in her own handcuffed in her own home. What do you think yeah. they're going to do? Sort of take a machete to them? Why would you do <laughs> such a thing? It yeah. was just 
it's just terrible. And 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 yeah. obviously it, it did, didn't do the 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 or the regulations any good when you see that kind of garbage going on. And yeah, harassing old ladies sitting in park benches and things. But then of course, when tens of thousands of people throng through the streets of the city, that's fine. That's okay because they're lefties. They're on our side. And this is yeah. again this polarization. If you're a lefty government, it doesn't matter. Infection doesn't matter. What matters is, are you politically on my side? Like, are mm. you a unionized worker? Yeah, you can work. Are you not unionized? You can't work. Are you yep. demonstrating for Black Lives Matter? Yes, you can demonstrate. No problem at all. No fines, no trouble. Are you demonstrating for the right to actually, you know, be able to go around in public freely? No, no, you're, you're evil. You're bad. And that, that's... Yep. Yep. It's, it's not, there's not even a pretense that this has anything to do with infection. It's all politics. It's all, are you on my side? If so, yeah. You, 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 100% agree. Angry. It, it's purely political, not in the least bit scientific, 100% arbitrary. And uh, it's about time Victorians stood up to this bully and said no. Mm. Um, so, Jim Penman, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Good talk to you. Well, that's it for this episode of Pello Talk. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, don't forget, you can become a supporter at goodsource.news slash support. And uh, we look forward to joining you in the conversation uh, there. And um, thank you for your comments and for sharing this with everybody else. Uh, what a great conversation. And there's more of that uh, with opinion articles and lots of other shows at goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. And uh, again, thank you very much. See you next time. Time for us to do something. Da, da, da.